We often classify cookbooks by genre, but what about books that defy categorization and won't fit neatly into any single box? Welcome to Everything Cookbooks, the podcast for writers, readers, and cooks. This is Molly Stevens, and I'm here with Kristen Donnelly. Hey, Kristen. Hey. If I say chef cookbook to you, what comes to mind? I guess fussy recipes, fussy plating, long recipes, hard to find ingredients, recipes that take days. Right. Lots of sub recipes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. just like looking all over the book, you know, to make one dish. They have really fallen out of favor somewhat. We're not seeing them. I mean, they had a heyday. Yeah. Decades ago. We're not seeing as many of them. That's for sure. Yeah, especially, I guess, if they tie to a restaurant. Yeah. Just doesn't seem to be the thing anymore. Yeah, so then what's a chef to do? A chef wants to write a cookbook because they've got a cookbook in them, but restaurant books aren't really a thing anymore. So, well, we have someone today who seems to have done it, right? Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation we're about to have. Yes. Vishwesh Bhatt is the executive chef of Snack Bar Restaurant at Oxford, Mississippi, a James Beard Award winner for Best Chef in the South. Vishwesh was born in Gujarat, India, and he moved to the United States with his family when he was 18. He went to college in Kentucky, moved to Mississippi for graduate school in the early 90s. He ended up dropping out of graduate school to pursue his love of cooking. And now, 30 years later, Vish has published his first cookbook. It's entitled, I Am From Here, Stories and Recipes from a Southern Chef. And today, we're going to ask him about all that and lots more. Well, Vishwesh Bhatt, welcome to Everything Cookbooks. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Congratulations on this new book. We're really excited. Chris and I have been reading through it, and I've cooked a few things, and I'm flagging so many recipes. We just can't get over all that you've accomplished in this book. Oh. Yeah, I, I want to make everything. It just looks so delicious. <laughs> I think you... And there's so much to learn, too. That's what we want to sort of get into. So, But let's sort of go back to the beginning. So when and where did this book come from? You know, I always felt like people should tell their stories. You know, I mean, I think that's that's an important aspect of one's life. And as, as chefs, we tend to be a little narcissistic. So we are even more. <laughs> <laughs> we want our story to be heard even more. But then we were in, you know, in, in a climate where I, I felt that hearing immigrant voices uh, was was very important. And so, you know, I was able to churn that out. I mean, this, this is, you know, this book is more a personal story than, than I mean, it, it has recipes. But it's it's certainly about uh, my experiences as you know coming here and and traveling uh, in Europe and and becoming who I am. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of recipes, 130, I think. So yeah, I think John Currents describes it as a roadmap to your heart in the introduction. <laughs> yeah. When did you start working on the book? I, I had the introduction, which is sort of the very very beginning of the book. I mean, I had an idea that I wanted to to do something or write something, and uh, but didn't really know how to go about it. So I started with the introduction of, of just like, okay, you know, and I had a couple of friends, John T.H. being one of them and David Black, who's now my agent. It's like, okay, well, why, why don't we just, I mean, you'd certainly have a story that would be interesting, but why don't you tell us or why don't you think about what that story is, what you want that story to be? And so it started with the introduction that I that I wrote. And it was very rough. I was accepted to join uh, the Southern Foodways Alliance uh, writing workshop where Osai kind of looked at that and helped me polish it up. 
then I sent to David Black, uh, who was like, okay, this is great. It's a great start, but uh, what about the rest of it? And then, <laughs> right. you know, nothing really came off it for eight months or so until David was in town. And he's like, okay, it's time. I, I need more stuff. And I think this is great. It's a good start, but can't just sit around. So I need to get to work. And that coincided with the, the world turning upside down with COVID. So I found myself with some unwanted free time, if you will, and, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. and started writing and, and decided that it was going to be, uh, you know, sort of a personal journey. And, and then it just kind of started flowing. The SFA, uh, Southern Foodways Writing Workshop, you have to submit something yes. to be accepted. Right. So your introduction was your submittal? Correct. And then it did became your proposal, really, the bones of the proposal? Correct. So, I mean, and then it is, you know, the way yeah. it is in the book is pretty much how it ended up being maybe a couple of lines taken out. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting because sometimes people save the introduction for very last. But for you, it was how it began. And you did do a full proposal after that? Uh, yes. I mean, because David, you know, David's like, well, this is great, but I also need, you know, what, what is it that you want to write about? I need some sample recipes. Mm -hmm. I need some head notes. So I, I did about, uh, I think, 12 or 15 recipes as the book does run the gam ran the gamut of, of something very typically Southern to, to something very Indian and, and some things in between. Then I fell in the right hands with folks at Norton. Melanie was great. Two years mm -hmm. later, we had a book. A beautiful book. It's interesting that you say, I think you said 12 to 15 sample recipes, mm -hmm. which sometimes we'll talk to authors who only do a few, but that makes so much sense with this book because it's not any one genre. This is not a chef book. This is not a Southern book. This is not an Indian book. This is a very personal book. It is. And so I can imagine that to show that diversity of recipes that you were going to provide required at least a dozen. Yeah. That again, that's where you know, somebody like David Black, who knows clearly knows what he's doing, came and was, was yeah. very helpful because he's like, we need to tell people who you are and what sets you apart. I mean, there, there are lots of chefs in the South doing lots of wonderful works. I mean, why, why is this something anybody wants to read? Tell me why. You, you show me why and then I can, if I'm not convinced, then I can't go convince anybody else. I kind of love that tough love from yes. the agent. Sometimes people don't realize how hard it is to... Yeah write a book and write a book proposal. And I feel like that tough love from an agent can be really helpful, even though it's hard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You have a co-author on this book, Sarah mm -hmm. Camp Millam. When did she come into the process? She came in about two or, or three months in because as I was I was writing, I don't really know how to write. I mean, you know, I have lots of ideas and I put them down on paper and they sound great to me. But, you know, it was, <laughs> it was difficult for uh, Melanie and David to sort of like you know, work through that jumble and said, yeah, there's a lot of information here. A lot of it is sort of superfluous to what you're trying to tell us. Uh, and so you clearly need some help with polishing this up. So would you be opposed to working with somebody? And I said, no, not at all. And so then uh, Sarah came in. She lives in town. We're friends. It was fun working with her because the way it worked for us was we'd work chapter by chapter. I would write something down, send her six or eight or 10 head notes on Monday. She would email me back with some uh suggestions on, on Wednesday, I would tweak them. Then we would meet on a Saturday or Sunday and sit face to face with, with my tweaks and with her notes. And then we would go back and forth and, okay. And she would say, hey, is this what you're trying to say? Yes, it is. Okay. Can we say it in fewer words? Is this is more compact? Can we, you know, look at this punctuation? Does this work for you? And I would say, yes. So then we would take that, tighten it up and say, it was a great, because she's also an editor. I was really fortunate to have 
two editors who are helping along with the process. Sounds like such an organized process. And I do some co-writing myself and it's like so rarely that organized. I'm yeah. sort of jealous. I mean, the good thing was <laughs> I knew exactly what I wanted to write and what I wanted to say with each uh, head note. And, and once we had decided that the chapters were going to be broken down by ingredients, I knew what I wanted to say about those ingredients. So the hard part was, you know, first narrowing down eight, nine, ten recipes for each chapter because, you know, every ingredient could have so many more once that was narrowed down, which was the, the biggest hurdle for me, the rest of it, it became uh, easier as time went on. Can we talk about those chapters? Because it's really interesting to me and it, it's so unique. Well, other books do this, but they're organized by ingredient. Yes. Rice, peas and beans, we call legumes, okra, tomatoes, eggplant, corn, potatoes, peanuts, greens, shrimp, catfish, chicken, pork and lamb. I just list those because that's a very specific yes. group of ingredients. Yeah. And I'm curious, we're curious, when and where did that organization come from? Because it works so beautifully. Yeah, so it came with the, the notion I had, you know, and, and for a long time I've had this notion uh, living in the South and working in the South is that we have a lot of things, a lot of ingredients in common, especially with India where I grew up, for Western India where I grew up. And so I wanted to make that connection. It's like, here are ingredients that are common to both places and some other places as well. I mean, because they, they traveled, you know, some, some of these ingredients traveled from, from Africa, some from other places, and, and they landed up here and in India. And so this idea that food connects, I wanted to make sure that the ingredients we were using were ingredients that were very Southern, but also at the same time, stuff that I had grown up with. So I could make that connection. Yeah. The opening to the rice chapter where you say the story of rice is the story of human yes. civilization. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ambition of it, but it's, I, I, I'm really, I struggle to, to talk about this book because it's so vast, but yet it's so personal. It is. And the rice chapter was probably the hardest one to, to write because there is so much, I mean, you know, to tell about rice and, and about humanity. And, and, mm -hmm. and this is not a book like that. I mean, this is, you know, essentially just sort of my personal scribblings, if you will. And so, but you couldn't write a cookbook about the South by a person who grew up in India without talking about rice. Probably the hardest chapter header to write. Yeah, the headers as well as the headnotes, they're very rich with information. And we've said a lot of personal storytelling, but there is a lot of history and cultural anthropology, recipe origins, cooking tips. So, you know, what was that process for you? Well, I think most of it came from being in the kitchen because we live in a small college town. Most of my kitchen staff over the years has, has been college kids who are working in a kitchen as sort of, mm. a, you know, a job while they're in college before they go become an accountant or whatever it is they're going to do. And so when they come in, their passion for food is not where mine is. And so it, it's a teaching process. And so I write recipes oh. because, you know, even, even at work, the recipes have to make sense to the folks, you know, like, why am I making this? You know, just show me what to do. And so I have to write recipes that are, are meant to teach because, you know, these guys are with me for a couple of years. They're dialed in, but that's not their primary focus. And so I, I figured that's how everybody reads a recipe. You have to give mm -hmm. some background as to as to why that recipe and, and what it means. I mean, I, and I think they turned out pretty good. Yeah. And there's so much. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much, you know, obviously about you and your background, but like they think about that rice chapter and the story of rice is not an easy mm -hmm. story, as you said. And it's a very complicated thing. And yet you you have a book that's still a very joyful book. So you managed to, to tell some complicated stories and still keep it about food. And you mentioned earlier that once you came up with the structure of the book, then it was a matter of coming up with eight to 10 recipes per chapter mm. type thing. But then choosing those recipes, because they're clearly not like a lot of chef books, they mostly come from or, or are inspired by what you cook at snack bar. 
these don't all come from the restaurant. No. There are a lot that, that your mother cooked from your travels. They're from, you know, you and your wife entertain, mm-hmm. have a supper club. And where they all come from? Well, I don't, I mean, some of them, uh, you know, come from, from memory. Some uh, I have notes. I don't have, I should be more organized and I should have a notebook. And that's what I tell a lot of young people who really want to cook. Like, you know, please don't, don't do what I've done all these years. You know, keep records and they'll come in very handy when you need them. But no, I mean, it, from the very beginning, I wanted a cookbook that was about cooking at home and feeding people at home. Again, we were in a place politically and then we still are where, you know, all the doors were being shut to everybody and just really sort of have drawn this line that separates us. And, and uh, you know, that that as, as somebody who is an immigrant is, is scary as well as sort of it, it bothers me that this country that I love and has become my home is, is headed in that direction. And one way I find joy is to have people around, have friends and, and family around and, and eat. Those are always my best memories and, and most fun times. And so I wanted a cookbook that was about, you know, eating and sharing food. And so the, all the recipes are, are essentially meant to be cooked in home. And every recipe in the book, every single one of them was tested in home kitchens, not one of them in the restaurant, because it, it didn't make sense to test them in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that testing process for you? I, I send off recipes to friends, uh, essentially, and some family with, that have various skill sets. So you have somebody like Stacy Bayless, who lives in, in Chicago, who is a very accomplished home cook recipe tester. So I send some to her. You know, my neighbors did some recipe testing. I send a few recipes to my nephew who lives in New York in a small apartment with, you know, what qualifies as a New York kitchen. And and so several different people like that got recipes and then they would test them and then give me feedback. And, and some feedbacks were pages long and some feedbacks from my nephew, for example, were things like, well, that tastes all right, you know. So, <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. So we, so we did that and then had my wife test the recipes as well at home because I knew that if I cooked them, I would cheat. Not intentionally, mm. but it happens because I do this every day and it, it becomes sort of second nature to like, oh, yep. I can use a little more salt or, you know, and then so it doesn't, then the recipe is no longer the recipe. And then once that was all done and all the testing was done, we did two sessions of photography, uh, one week at our home in Oxford. So we cooked seven days, six to 10 recipes every day. And I cooked them. What I did with those is I had uh, a couple of folks from the restaurant uh, come in and, and uh, mise everything out, put everything else away so I couldn't reach for it. And so I had to cook it with what was in front of me. <laughs> you couldn't cheat. Right. Yeah. It's so self-aware. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it had to be done. And I, you know, again, I mean, I got very lucky with, or, you know, very fortunate with, with the team I had. Angie Mosier, who is also, you know, a phenomenal photographer, is a great cook yeah. as well and food stylist. And she's done this before. So, she, you know, she was like, ah, 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 you know, nope, can't do that. <laughs> that's not in your that's not in your notes. Wow, that's so. great. Because sometimes stylists even will take those liberties, you know. So you didn't have a separate stylist other than you and Angie, the photographer. Correct. It was just Angie and I in, in my kitchen. Yeah. We have a kitchen and then we have sort of this bay window that what has a lot of natural light that comes in and so she set up a table there and everything mm-hmm. was 95% of all, of all recipes were, were shot uh, in natural light as they were cooked. Yeah, they're beautiful. And we were talking about how, how much we love the design of the chapters, mm-hmm. the cutout where the, the ingredients, the dish shows through. Design-wise, I'm sure it was a challenging book, too, because there is so much text. Yes. And again, I mean, that, all the credit for that goes to, to Melanie and the design team at Norton, because, 
once I send everything in and, you know, I, I felt like, okay, my job is done. Why isn't the book ready in a week? <laughs> you know, I've slept <laughs> yeah. for two years now, you know, give me something. And, you know, of course it took, it took a while and I was getting impatient. And so when that first digital version landed in my email, I, I, I cried. Oh, I mean, it was, I, I couldn't believe, you know, I just had no idea that it could look like that. So, yeah, I'm imagining that not just what it looked like, but that somehow what it looks like expresses what you're yes. trying, yeah. you know, that it matches yeah. mm-hmm. your vision of this book. Yeah. And, and I had no, I mean, you know, idea. I mean, you know, I had seen, of course, you know, seen the pictures and, you know, kind of seen things laid out, seen the galley in black and white, and that didn't really do it justice. And by this time, I had read recipes over and over and over and over again and talked about them back and forth with, with the editors and, and all that forever and ever. So until the first color copy kind of popped up. I, I didn't understand what, what had happened. It's sort of magical. Did you start with that title, like from the very beginning? Yes. And again, that had a lot to do with uh, everything that's going on around us. Mm-hmm. But for someone like me, you know, I, you know, I, I get asked, uh, and this is, you know, neither here nor there, but I get asked about, you know, by some food media people to submit recipes and stuff. And inevitably they're, you know, they're recipes that have some sort of an Indian tilt, which I don't mind, but you know, it's really mm-hmm. hard for me to explain to people that I don't know how to cook Indian food. I grew up there. I left when I was just out of high school. I learned how to cook in the American South. I became a chef in the American South, mm-hmm. writing recipes and all that stuff in, in kitchens, you know, like, like City Grocery. And so I can certainly give you, but the only thing that was different about me is I had grown up eating with spices and so I could use them. I knew what to do with them. I could season things with, with different spices than, than what are thought of as, as typically Southern. That's my extent of knowledge of Indian food other than, you know, the, the five or six recipes that I had learned from my mom that I can sort of churn out without even, you know, thinking about it. You know, there's always this question like, you know, where are you from? And then you say, I'm from Oxford, Mississippi. And the follow-up question is always, no, no, where are you really from? And then I say, I'm from Oxford, Mississippi. Right. I, you know. Where are you really so from? So there's that part <laughs> of it. And then the other part of it is this notion that we belong where we are, you know, that we, we have a place, we have a voice. And it's worth listening to. And of course, I, I've been mm-hmm. given a platform mm-hmm. and I have a platform, uh, some of it that, that, you know, that I've created, some of it uh, I'm very fortunate to have uh, friends and colleagues who, who have given me a voice and, and, you know, sort of pushed me forward. But not everybody has that. And I, I felt like it would be nice for other folks to see that this is possible. Right. That's beautifully explained, the title. And it just goes to show how four words, I am from here, four very simple words, tell mm-hmm. so much. I mean, I can't imagine a better title for the book. It, <laughs> Thank you. It really yeah. tells such a story. <laughs> Thinking back to the editing process, because I think we said 130 recipes and you you mentioned you're not organized. And I, I have to <laughs> disagree with you because to get to work the way you did. And I mean, you didn't turn this book out overnight, but it was a pretty tight timeline to get that many recipes developed, Mm -hmm. written, edited. And I'm wondering about the editing process because you were working with Sarah, who is Mm -hmm. an editor. I'm guessing that your manuscript was pre-edited. Yes. That by the time it got to Melanie. Yeah. I mean, that's why it it was was very... Useful. I mean, Sarah Camp. I mean, she's freaking amazing, and and you know, she she has a full time job and, and two babies. So you know, I think of that as 
two full-time jobs. And then on, on top of that, she was available and with me for, you know, through this process and I couldn't have done it without her. So a lot of credit goes to her for, for getting this done in, in a time. Also, because she's an editor, she knows about deadlines and what are real deadlines mm. and what are not real deadlines and what stuff is important <laughs> to get done. Uh, so that was very useful as well because, you know, she would say, okay, some of this stuff, uh, you know, you, you're sort of spinning your wheels. We can, we can set that aside, but this information needs to be done right now. You know, you have until 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. I need to see it. And some she would say, OK, you can you can take a week. And that was very, very helpful. And you're still cooking. Yes. At snack bar, too. You're still yes, chefing absolutely. during this whole process yeah. as well. So you also have a yeah. very full time job. There's so many recipes I want to talk about and that I flagged. Corn and collard green fritters. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, it's sort of a hush puppy like. Yeah, it's like a like cross between a hush puppy and a pakora, if you will. Yeah, I, I like corn in my hush puppy. You know, some some people don't. And I like fresh corn in, in my hush puppy because some people do that. And I also like to, when I, when I get a bowl of collard greens or mustard greens or whatever, and if you have cornbread on the side or bread, I like to sort of crumble it up and put it in there. So I was like, why don't we combine the two and, and, and see what happens? And again, it's one of those things that, that was in my head that, that worked. Not everything that was in my head worked, but that did. Yeah. The preface that John Currens wrote, he talks about how thoughtfully and carefully you taste your food. Like he sort of <laughs> witnessed this when you I think you were a regular. There's that whole story about your unpaid bar tab <laughs> that ever, <laughs> in your origin story. But I'm sensing this. You said you didn't know how to cook Indian food. You just grew up eating it. But you seem to have a memory for flavor yes. that I don't think everyone has. You have an ability to identify and mm-hmm. texture, too. That's a lot of has, has to do with, with how I grew up and, and how good a cook my mother was and how much my father enjoys eating. He'll be 91 this uh, next month, and he still does. And, and, and growing up eating uh, Gujarati food, a lot of Gujarati food is about different flavors and textures and colors. And, you know, so that is what I had grown up with. And so if you put something in, in front of me that's, you know, say tomato soup, I really enjoy tomato soup. But I, I enjoy it even more if I had something, you know, like a little little crouton with it or something like that. That just mm-hmm. uh, And so this notion that textures are important, they make things more fun or, you know, a little pop of spice because again that's what I grew up with so you know cracked peppercorn versus finely ground peppercorn because every once in a while you get a little bite that kind of wakes you up you know those are things that I personally enjoy and therefore I guess subjugate people to that <laughs> well the, the the potato chips on your uh Sunday yeah. everything doll I just was like that's yeah. that's brilliant I'm gonna crumple some potato right. chips and on my and that you know that, yeah. that was a pure you know invention of necessity right because uh, when my parents were living and working in, in Chicago in, in the 50s, uh, you could get, uh, you know, some kind of lentil. You could get split green peas or something and they could make dal. But they were, there was no poppered or, though you know, any of that. And so how do you add that texture? And so the potato chip became the sort of the go-to and then it remained. Is that something that your family would talk about? No, it was understood. I mean, you know, they, it, it might have been mentioned a couple of times. And of course, you know, when we were back in India, we would still, you know, dad would still use potato chips because at that point, you know, it was just something he did and that became his thing. That set his yeah. doll apart from right. anybody else's doll. And so that was, you know, he, he took pride in it. Oh, this is mine. Yeah, this is how you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just makes me think about my own daughter. Like, what is she picking up, you know? And Yeah. Well, that thoughtfulness around it and the like ceremony around the, the mm-hmm. table and the, the attention, the appreciation. Yes. 
Very much so. And, and sometimes it was just, you know, as I said, sometimes it would be just dal and rice. But even that, you didn't just say, oh, it's just dal and rice. I mean, it became like this big special Sunday thing, right? You know, well, well, a lot of people would have this big elaborate Sunday meals. Mine was rice and dal with potato chips, and, and I loved every bit of it. Mm. Since there is so much history in the book, I'm wondering if any of the recipes started with wanting to tell a story of a dish and then developing the dish for that? Or was it always like it starts with what you wanted to cook first and then... Yeah, a combination. I mean, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, to me, things already have a story, right? I mean, the, the reason I wanted to write the book is because there is a story that that food connects. I mean, that food is is not stagnant and that, you know, that, that people are not stagnant. And so the notion that Southern food or Indian food or any other food needs to be just one way is just nonsense because it has never been that way. You know, it, it's it's constantly evolving mm-hmm. as, as people come and people go and, you know, new ingredients show up when, when people weren't there. Ingredients were still showing up. That it doesn't belong to any. Correct. It's meant to be shared both at the table and in the kitchen by the cooks. Yeah, that's how I started. And then that's that's my, you know, very firm belief that food is meant to be shared. And so then you look at the ingredients and each ingredient had a story already. I mean, you know, if you just talk about tomatoes or okra, for me, which is my favorite, it's a very long history of, of a very simple thing, a very simple part of what it meant to people. So this, the history is already there. And while I, I, I'm not a scholar and I can't really write to the history of, of any of the ingredients, I wanted to make sure that there was at least that mention that, you know, this is this is important and why it is important. Mm-hmm. You say how you grew up thinking that okra was native to yes. where you grew up because right. it was so prevalent. And then you get mm-hmm. to the South and actually it's not Places, native to exactly. either place, but both places still yeah. cooks and, it. And, and claims it, yeah. Claims it, yeah. You know, I think about, Kristen, your question to me, like the jambalaya recipe. In the head note, you talk about that anybody who studies food history knows that food origin stories can rarely if ever be trusted. Mm-hmm. And so it, it exists because it's a good mm-hmm. jambalaya recipe and it's yeah. one you love and you make. But you also make that that story that it, it's descended from paella. Correct. It's not the whole mm. story. It also comes from West African rice dishes. Yes. And the, again, the thing is, you know, if, if you're talking about anything that comes out of the American South, you cannot talk about any of the food without the people that cooked it. And, and for a very long time, we haven't right. done that, right? So it's happening now and it's an open discussion. And while most chefs acknowledged, you know, the, the influence of, of African-Americans on, on the Southern foodways, it was never done as, as openly and as loudly as it has been done in the last you know, decade or so. There were, there were some chefs who were doing it earlier than that. But it's important to tell that story and not, not in a negative way, but in, in a positive way that, hey, here are people that have contributed to something that is so dear to us. Right. Something like gumbo is so meaningful to cuisine of of, mm-hmm. of Louisiana. And you can't really, you know, not talk about how it came about. Yeah. In a, in a really nice, positive way. It's like, yeah, I mean, yes, you, you can't ignore the terrible past, but some really beautiful things came out of it in spite of that. And we have to sort of acknowledge that and talk about it. Yeah. Give credit where credit is due. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. You mentioned uh, Southern chefs and you have a, a really hefty biography. I think there's over a dozen books in the back. And, and you, you in a lot of your headnotes, you talk about travels. And it seems that you've also connected professionally. Yes. 
with a lot of the big Southern mm-hmm. chefs and who are doing creative things. And I'm just, it seems like a lot of your inspiration, education, mm-hmm. sharing, again, there's this whole sharing thing comes from that group of individuals as well. Yes. And a lot of credit for that goes to the Southern Food Waste Alliance because it's, it's based in Oxford. So every year when the annual symposium happens, a lot of these folks were coming here and, and they were in Oxford for the weekend, long weekend, Thursday through Sunday, and uh, they couldn't really get out of town. So they, they would run into me everywhere. And, uh, you know, so, and most of them, uh, you know, maybe a couple of exceptions, uh, most of them really enjoyed sharing stories and sharing recipes and having banter. So yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate in that sense as well, that I've run into folks that want to share their stories and then have allowed me oftentimes to steal their stories and steal their recipes. <laughs> it's funny because you mentioned you're not a scholar necessarily, but you are in this very like scholarly academic place. And then Southern Foodways Alliance is fairly scholarly. So it is. It is. That shows in, you know, in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mean you know, again, I, I grew up in a house, you know, my, my father has a PhD in physics and my mother read voraciously and from the very beginning, you know, that was encouraged. If you didn't ask why or how, there was something wrong with you in, in my household. Mm. Huh. You couldn't just accept something. So that, that is how I grew up. You know. <laughs> yeah. You're here yeah. to be curious and you're here right. to ask why yeah. and how. And it works in a cookbook, that's for sure. I mean, we benefit. Yeah, I was going to say, does that ever make it challenging to decide when something's done? Not in my particular case, because again, you know, as, as I said at the the onset, I you know, I'm, I'm fairly narcissistic. So when I when I think it's done, it's done. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> unless somebody else yeah. that I really respect comes and tells me it's not. They, they usually yeah. know me well enough to know not to say that. I don't think that's narcissism. That's Confidence, expertise, yeah. experience. Well, I mean, they, they, they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? I understand as a chef, it's it's a very valuable mm-hmm. trait. It's part of why I left right. the kitchen because I was I had too much self. I was like, I don't know, is this yeah. good enough? You know that kind of thing, and I was too in place. Whereas I get a sense if you know it works, it works. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell the secret. You know, my secret is if I like it, I'll put it on the menu. I mean, I I write menus yeah. based on what I want to eat. That's how that works. <laughs> Back to the book, because there are these sections that stood out to me. In the front, there's a lot of about pantry staples and even equipment. But I love you give us a shopping list, like not just pantry staples, but here's a shopping list. Mm-hmm. Take this when you go to the Indian market or you would give some online sources or well. But I'm wondering where that idea came from. Credit for that idea goes to Sarah Camp because she's like, oh, you've got a lot of interesting stuff here, but... How are people going to go find this stuff? You know, you have to give them a way to mm-hmm. go find this stuff. And so, you know, she's like, okay, mm-hmm. where do you go get it? And so I said, this is what I do. I'm like, okay, well, then let's tell people that. I mean, I made the congee with coconut and ginger mm-hmm. because I wanted to take something and I had those things at home. There were right. certain things that I, I would have had to go. I don't have asafoetida yeah. at home right now, so I would have to go get some. So, But it's a nice balance in the book where there are things that mm-hmm. you could just, if you had any sort of pantry and... And the kanji was absolutely delicious. Thank you. Yeah, well, you made it, so. Yes, and then those green beans, too. I'm really fascinated by that method of the green mm-hmm. beans where they're they're simmered. They're like sautéed yes. and simmered, which is a really interesting technique. And not quick cooked, with which I love a green bean that's yes. well cooked. <laughs> I do, too. Yes. Yeah, right. And that's another connection between, you know, how we eat green beans in the South and I grew up eating them. You know, they're not completely cooked to a mush, but they're cooked. Yeah. 
They're not squeaky. Which, I mean, I, I love those too. I love that French style of, of squeaky beans. But, you know, you get another layer of flavor when you when you cook them a little bit longer. And they become so infused with the flavors, which I really right, like. Right, with the sesame and the ginger uh-huh. in this case. And then the uh-huh. other section I thought was really interesting and, and somewhat unique is the what should I make? Mm-hmm. Because you've organized these chapters by these specific ingredients – you can't necessarily open up and see here's the appetizer chapter or exactly. here's the main course. So so you have two pages of it's a recipe finder by occasion. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? <laughs> uh, again, that that's uh, you know credit credit to Sarah Cam and 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 Melanie because she's like okay you know I, I want you guys to gonna give me a sample menu and I was like well that that kind of seems kind of a stretch right I mean you know I don't want to force people but here how about we give them ideas like you know these things work. In the daytime, and th- these things work in the afternoon. So that's how that came about. If somebody wanted to make a meal out of this book, which you know is easily done, but it, it certainly needs some some guidance, and that's that's where we thought that was the best way of doing it. Yeah, I like this way of doing it because sometimes menus can feel overwhelming yeah, or forced. Catfish parmesan. It's so great. Thank you. I just know it's all. It's, I don't want to say it's all over the place because that makes it sound like like it doesn't have focus, but it does. It you know? does. Yeah. yeah but it, it is all over the place in, in some sense. I, I I agree with you. You know, this is not sort of a single subject book. While the focus is on how I cook and my idea of what Southern food is, it is. I mean, Southern food is all over the place. If you you know, if you just sort of hmm. pull the lens back a little bit. Yeah, it's true. It's a melting pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you were doing the proposal or starting the book or dreaming of the book. Did you think of a target audience? No, no. And I still don't know who they are. And I still don't know who, <laughs> who the people are that have, have bought the book. And yeah, They're I know, out there, though. I, uh, I don't know who they are, you know. And it's uh, every once in a while, something will pop up on my Instagram or, or something like that, where, you know, somebody sends a picture of a recipe and it just, you know, it, it makes me so happy that, that somebody's actually doing that. I mean, it's fun. What do you hope people get from the book? Oh, that's a, you know, that's a tough question. I think the biggest thing I want people to remember remember is how much fun it is to entertain Mm. without getting, you know, too much into, you know, is the China right? Do we have the right napkins and, you know, all that. Just, Just call a couple of friends over and, you know, or neighbors and do something. You know, don't make it so difficult on yourself, right? I mean, that's, Mm. we need these little gatherings. We need to figure out a way to gather around and just talk about What's going on in our lives instead of, you know, this constant fighting we're doing right now and, you know, maybe turn the television off for, for a couple of hours and just just enjoy, a, a, you know, a meal or, or a couple of cocktails with your, your friends and family. I mean, that's that's in the end, that's the most fun for me. So that's, you know, I hope that shows and comes through and hopefully that's how people use the book. That's beautiful. And I, I love that you... A lot of the recipes serve eight mm-hmm. to ten or six to eight. They're been, and yet you're up front. You say you can have them if you yes. want. You can double them. Uh, that, the fight with Melanie on, on that, uh, that, that was something, you know, because mm. Melanie is a New Yorker through and through. So to her, you know, it's like, <laughs> who cooks for eight people? And it's like, every time I cook, I cook for eight people. That that makes sense to me. And she's like, these recipes are too big. And so it's like, no, 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 that's that's how they're going to be. And She's like, but what if I just want to eat for myself? I said, well, that's just sad. Nobody wants to eat by themselves. So uh, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, she didn't, you know, she didn't, you know, she pushed back a little bit. But then, you know, we said, I was like, okay. It's, and, and also I explained to her that and, and, and to the listeners that if you have a big recipe, cutting it in half is a lot, lot easier than if you have a small recipe and scaling it up. 
because for some reason, and I don't know what the scientific reason behind this is, uh, but when you start scaling up, things kind of tend to get skewed and, and, you know, especially the salt and the heat and stuff, it doesn't double as well as it has. Especially for home cooks. Mm. No, even even for me, at, you know, at work, I mean, it, it requires a little bit of thought. Yeah. Cutting in half is, is, you know, you just cut everything in half and it works just fine. Or you make the whole recipe and then you have amazing leftovers. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about what you said about when you see on social media where someone has cooked one of your dishes from the book and how mm. exciting that is and how satisfying that is. And I'm also thinking as a chef, that's not an experience you know, because you're the one right. feeding people, you get the happiness mm-hmm. to see someone like you, you know, maybe you read a review or somebody was at your restaurant and said how great it was, but it's, a, this is a next level. Absolutely. And so far, only one or two people have, have taken on the challenge of like, hey, make this your own, right? I mean, the recipe is a guideline. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, if, if you have everything, mm-hmm. um, make it, if you want to make it exactly the way it's written, great, but use it as a guideline, make your own tweaks. And, and you know, a couple of people have done that. And that's been kind of fun to watch as well. And it's like, oh, I didn't think of that. Mm-hmm. In the past, I don't know, I guess five or so years, there haven't been as many restaurant cookbooks. And there are still chefs like you and many others who want to write cookbooks. So I'm wondering, after going through this process, do you have any advice for a restaurant chef who wants to write a cookbook, but maybe the publishers aren't necessarily interested in their their restaurant book? I, I think, I mean, and this is, I, and I don't know, I don't really have any advice. What I feel is a lot of this might be sort of, you know, people want to to hear stories, right? I mean, they want something interesting. So if you if you tell us why the restaurant is interesting, you know, or, or why these recipes in your restaurant matter versus here are the recipes from restaurant XYZ because it's a great famous restaurant. I think that doesn't sit or, or you know, it, it's hard to read because people don't have a, a reference mm-hmm. or a context unless you have been to the restaurant and you really, you know, enjoy the food there. It doesn't make sense. But if you make it fun, if you say, these are the recipes that I love from my restaurant and these are the stories behind those recipes and maybe maybe make it more personal, I think that you, you can do two things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Focus on the storytelling. Yeah. And I'll just add to that, I mean, you know, most chefs think that they don't have a way to tell a story. They don't, they don't really have a story. They just cook. And, and I think that's just patently false. I think if, if you cook, you have a story to tell. And so, you know, think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, it's just such a thoughtful book. And we really, really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Oh, no, thank you. And then now that we've met and talked and, and seen each other, it's it's time for you guys to come down south and visit us in Oxford. Come hang out. Let me cook for you at the house. <laughs> would love that. Yes, yeah. we'd love that. And, that, and I mean it. It's, it's, an open, it's an open invitation, you guys. Anytime you want to come down. Vish, thank you so much. We will put ways for everybody to find your restaurant and your book in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to Everything Cookbooks. For more episodes and ways to contact us, go to our website, everythingcookbooks.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Any book mentioned in the show can be found on our affiliate page at bookshop.org. Thank you, as always, to our editor, Abby Circatella. And until next time, keep on writing, reading, and cooking. Cooking.